Hi, and welcome to One Stop Co-op Shop, your one stop for co-op news and reviews. This week, the king of co-op, Steve Kingsley, and his special guest are going to review a game for you and have a related discussion. And without further ado, here's Steve! Hey, I'm Peter, and I'm here with Steve. Hey guys, Steve here. Yeah, that felt a little weird to say. I'm used to saying Mike. I don't know. <laughs> Everything's changing these times. I know. Coronavirus has turned you into Steve. Wait, I am Steve. Oh, yeah. Never mind. <laughs> you are not Mike. <laughs> All right. Well, no, we're doing a little something fun here, a little crossover episode where it's going to be me and Steve, and we have a very special treat for you today. We're going to talk about the top five games we think you need in an... What are we in? A quarantine, I guess. A quarantine. That's right. So we're going to have two different top five lists, actually. One for new gamers... And that'll be our first list. So if you're new, welcome and enjoy the top first top five. And the second list is going to be for more of a second game, like more experienced gamers. People have been gaming for a while, but I don't want to make anybody feel excluded. You don't have to be an expert gamer to play these second tier games. They're just going to be a little more complicated than the first tier games. I think that's how I'm, at least in my mind, I separated them. And yeah, and with my criteria, I do have some overlap between those two lists, so we'll get to that when we go to this. All right, cool. So you talked about your criteria. What did you do for your list? So I was looking at what does it mean to be in quarantine and like what are the best practices for that? And it's like, well, good hygiene, you know, staying at home, not having visitors, staying away from people like six feet away. And obviously the last one doesn't work so well when we talk about board games. But yeah, I was about to say, hold on. <laughs> I have slapjacks on mine. What are you talking about? There you go. <laughs> so, but like looking at like that recommendation type list and trying to figure out, well, how does this work when you're looking at board games? So I kind of distilled it down to like kind of four main points, like low player count. So you don't have a lot of people come over, of course. Trying to maybe have more individualized components and not really sharing them around as much. That was a little bit harder to do because basically any board game you pick is going to have stuff you pass around and share to other people. So that was a really hard one to like even think about. Family friendly was another one because a lot of us are with our families right now. And so that's why I have some overlap between these lists. And then uh, the last one I was looking at was an ability to play remote because we have buddies all over the place and there's some tools out there that let you play board games remote, but some games are better suited than others for that purpose. All right. Well, this is going to be awesome because I had completely different criteria for my list. What were your criteria? But before we get to that, let me say real quickly, at the end of the episode, we're going to have a little bit of a news section and just talk a little bit about the quarantine and what it might mean for the board game industry. And this is obviously all speculation, but me coming from more of an insider perspective and Steve kind of coming from the everyman perspective, although I think you're a little more than the everyman nowadays being uh, so involved in the industry, but just different perspectives on what we think it's going to mean coming into the future. So getting back to my criteria, though, so my criteria were, I think low player count's a pretty good one, although you don't know how big people's families are, but my games tend to play well at low player count as well. My biggest criteria I looked at was something you can buy and get a lot of value out of, meaning mm. you could play it over and over and over, because who knows how long we're going to be stuck at home. We could be stuck at home two, three, four, five weeks, so... I wanted something that would grow with you. So I do have a lot of games that kind of grow as you grow and you're not playing the same game over and over with different difficulty scalings and things like that. So I just wanted something that you could buy one game 
for the quarantine and play it the whole time. Now, will you? Who knows? But that was kind of where I was coming from. Yeah, that's interesting because one thing that I was considering was like these massive dungeon crawl campaign type games. And those work pretty well in the set setting too. But like if you had a group already started, it doesn't really work well to continue those campaigns. So I, it's, it's kind of weird with some of these categories. I'll be curious to see how your list aligns with mine. Yeah, and I didn't consider remote gaming at all. I figured that if people wanted to remote game, there's plenty of online services for that. Certainly, you talk about some of your favorite ones, because I like that our lists are going to be different. But for me, I wanted to say, look, if you wanted to buy one or two games, go to Amazon right now or go to your favorite online game seller right now, buy a couple games that'll tide you over for the next couple weeks that you and your family or whoever you're li- in your living space with, that that's more of what I went for. So before we jump into our list, let's do a quick shout out to our Patreon supporters. I'd like to thank Jamie Robertson, a co-op lover, Mark Edler, a co-op fan, and Christian Daigle, a co-op lover. Thanks guys for your support and everyone else who supports us on Patreon. It really means a ton to us. Yeah, and thank you for all your support, including things like sharing this episode, because I think this episode is going to bring a lot of joy to a lot of people. The reason we're doing this new to gaming list at the beginning here is we want new people to hear this because I've gotten a lot of questions online on my Facebook and things like that. Like, what do you do during this quarantine? What do we do when we're stuck at home? Well, I think we're going to shed some light here and hopefully introduce people to this hobby with some of these, you know, new games for people. So please feel free to share this episode with all your friends and family. All right, with that out of the way, let's talk about how we do our top five list. So what we typically do is we start with our number five, what we think is the least important game or the least important thing about a game, and we work up to number one, which we think is the most important. Now, I mean, it's only a top five list, so all these games I think are going to be really good in our estimations, but we tend to recommend our number one more than our number five. And if you want to hear more about any of these games, we've done episodes on pretty much all of them. So just look back in our backlog and you can hear more in-depth reviews on each of the games we're covering today. So let's start out with you, Steve. What is your number five game for new gamers? For new gamers, I was looking at things that were easy to get to the table, kind of streamlined. Something you can drop down and get everyone playing pretty quickly. Now, this one kind of breaks a little bit of what I was aiming for for my criteria. Specifically, easy to play remote. This one, you can make it work, but it's a little challenging. But that one is Pandemic the Cure. I chose this one over the normal Pandemic because this is the dice-based version of it, and you're not necessarily sharing cards or passing cards around with a common deck, and that makes it very difficult to do remote. You can make it work, but it's a lot easier if everyone can just grab like a six-sided dice and on the other side of a webcam and roll that, and you know what the results will be. It's a little bit easier in that regard. Oh, that makes sense. So that's why this one outset the normal pandemic games, and not to mention that you're not really passing, like I said, passing the cards around as much, and it is pretty streamlined and easy to play. So that's my number five, Pandemic the Cure. Great choice. I haven't played The Cure as much as I played Base Pandemic, but I do know that it's a much quicker to set up game and a much quicker to play game. So I think that would be a great choice for people dipping their toes in the water for the first time. So my number five is a game we've reviewed and actually talked about a lot over the years and talked about how our opinions differ on it. And that is Harry Potter Hogwarts Battle. Now, there are a couple things that make this good for new to co-op gamers. There is, first of all, the fact that it is a deck builder and a very easy to learn deck builder. And it starts you off very, very basically. 
And as you go along, the game progresses, and each chapter, you're adding more and more and more. Now, one of the things we've complained about the game is once you get to year six or seven, the game could go a little bit long. But guess what? We've got unlimited time at home. It's better than sitting there and watching the same Netflix show for the 50th time. So who cares if the games go a little bit long? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so for that reason, I think it's a great game to introduce people, especially if they like the Harry Potter theme. And the first couple games are great. They'll get really into it. And then again, as the games go longer and longer, you have the free time anyway right now. So I thought it'd be great for a quarantine situation, which is what we're in. And if you really like it by the end, they even have an expansion. So it's something you can expand and even go further with. So that's my number five, Harry Potter Hogwarts Battle. Yeah, deck builders are a pretty good choice for now. There's a lot to explore in a deck builder. Cool, I'll jump into my number four, and this is one game we've talked about a lot, and it's probably not going to change much because it's just a really solid game, and that is Forbidden Island. This game is just really clean and easy to get to the table, and that ramp up, as Mike and Peter have mentioned, and I will totally jump on the same wagon with them, saying that that ramp up at the end, that push to the end, that sprint, is really exciting in just about every game you play of this. Yeah, that's a really good one. And the nice part is it's a nice low price point, a nice easy barrier to entry for new gamers. It's not going to be a a sticker shock when they buy it. And if they really like it, they can expand it with Forbidden Desert, uh, Forbidden Sky we won't talk about, the the (laughs) game that shall remain nameless. But uh, certainly, you know, you got Forbidden Desert, so you can continue along that series at also a good price point. That's, That's a really good choice. My number four is along those same lines, and that's Horrified. Horrified is a game based on the Universal Monster series. You know, Frankenstein, Dracula, Wolfman. Now, this one doesn't isn't as expandable as some of the other games, but every game you play, you play against two or th- even three of the monsters, and so it is going to be changeable. You have a lot of different combinations there. The other game I was thinking about that's also very similar to this by the same designers is the new Wonder Woman game that we reviewed last week. And in that episode, I said I like that one more, and I still think I do. The problem is that you do only have three enemies with that, and I think it would get samey quicker than Horrified would. So that's why I put Horrified in this spot. But certainly if the Wonder Woman theme appeals to you more, you know, that Wonder Woman, do you remember what it's called? Conquest of the Amazons? Yeah, that sounds right. Something about Amazons. So if you look up board game, Wonder Woman, Amazons, you're going to find it. But my number four suggestion officially is Horrified. And don't let the monster theme scare you. This is definitely a very family-friendly game. The pictures are not gruesome at all. They're not scary at all. And the gameplay is very simple to play. Good choice. Moving on to my number three. This one will probably make Peter happy. And I didn't pick this because you're on the podcast. But it is just one. Nice. This game is just really fun and... It's not necessarily my game of the year, but it is a great party game, and it's just so easy for people to get to the table. Even if you've not played a modern board game, it's so simple to explain this to people, and it wants to be really fun. Now, this one does play pretty nicely at higher player counts, but you can play at lower player counts, and it works out fairly well. But this one, you can actually play remote. So unlike some of the other ones, like Forbidden Islands, a little bit hard to play remote when you have a shared deck. But this one is fairly easy. You can have one person just control the deck and not necessarily pass cards around. And each person has their own whiteboard. So it does help a little bit with that separation. Yeah, this one's still near the top of my list. I actually thought about putting it on here, too. It's still one of my family's favorite games. We definitely still play it. My thing was I wanted a game that evolved. And I actually have one in this vein coming up next that does the 
something similar in the fact that it's a light party game. You can play with your family, but this one has a little bit more expansion to it. And so that's why I put it next. But I do want to comment on this game of the year nonsense that I keep getting flack for. (laughs) I still love my game of the year. Mike's trading away his game of the year. So I just want to put that out there. Mr. Tainted Grail game of the year. And now he's played it more and he thinks it's garbage. I knew this was... He doesn't think it's garbage, by the way. That's hyperbole. But the bottom line is, <laughs> don't give me crap about Just One, which is a game that I love and still love, and we're going to keep playing for years, and then tell me these other games are so much better designed. They're not better designed if they don't hold up to years of playing. So, I, I don't know. I love it. I am still on my Just One love, so bring it. <laughs> well, it's a great game, as I agree with, obviously, being on this list, so... <laughs> So, obviously, I agree with that choice. It was my game of the year last year. And my number three, like I said, it's in that same party game family, and it's Codenames Duet. And I will say, I think all the Codenames games are great, and I think they all work. The, the First of all, this is a co-op podcast, so we only talk about cooperative games where you're winning and losing together. So that's part of the reason I picked Duet. But the other reason I picked Duet is... It works really well, not just for two people. It works for three or four or five. It doesn't matter. You just split up into teams, and it works just fine. And the thing that I I added it, again, I thought about all these other party games. I thought about The Mind. I thought about Codenames Regular. I thought about Codenames Duet. I thought about Just One. The thing that Duet does that none of the other ones do is you have a progression in there. Like the first game, this is your goal. Then you can split off and do these other goals. So it's a little different in your second game and it's a little different in your third game. So like I said, I wanted a game that was going to last with you through the quarantine, something you could keep playing. You know, it's hard to get these campaign style games to the table normally over and over enough times to make it worthwhile. And with everybody being stuck at home, even if it's just weekends, you know, if you're working during the week and you're still stuck at home just on the weekends and evenings, that's still enough to be able to play a game like this that you can play over and over. So Codenames Duet, not only is it a great game, one of the best games out there, in my opinion, but the fact that it has that campaign and and almost legacy style to it, well, it's not legacy at all. You're not ripping anything up. But campaign style to it, then I think it fits perfectly for this list. So Codenames Duet, my number three. Yeah, great choice. I I love Duet. And I consider that when I think about this list as well, but with all the cards and maybe handling around, I was maybe shied away from it, but it does fit the criteria for sure. That's a good one. Moving on to my number two. This is one that I know my family recommends a lot whenever we meet up, and it works out pretty well for quarantine as well, and that's uh, Burgle Brothers. Oh, nice. So in this game, you are working together as a, I don't know, basically like OSINT 11, but in board game form. (laughs) You are entering this building trying to break into safes and rob the safes and make it to the roof and escape while there's guards on each floor trying to hunt you down. You can really customize the different floors of this game to really change up the game. So you have a lot to explore. You can play with just two levels in the board or maybe three or some interesting room layouts or wall layouts. It gets pretty fun. So this is one I like a lot. I definitely pull it out. I love stealth games. So this has a huge stealth component. So it's got to make my list somewhere. So that's number two, Burkle Brothers. You know what? You and I will have to review this soon because we haven't reviewed that one on the channel yet. So maybe in a couple weeks, Burgle Brothers will come up because I know I've played it quite a bit and I love it too. So that's one we've never talked about, ironically, after all these three years of doing a podcast. And it's one we should talk about. I agree. All right. So you heard it here first. In a few weeks, Steve and I will be doing Burgle Brothers. I don't know if it'll be two or four or six or eight, but one of these even weeks, we will be doing it. (laughs) Sounds good. All right, so my number two is brand new. 
and I don't even know if you've gotten a chance to play this, but I have. I played it both online with Mike and Jerry, and I played it with my family the last two days, and that is The Crew. So you'll hear more about The Crew next week, because Mike and I are reviewing it next week, but it is a trick-taking game where you have differing goals throughout the game. There are 50 missions that come with the game. So again, it fits that criteria of not any game is going to play the same. It's going to keep getting harder and harder as you go along. You're increasing your difficulty. And it starts out really simple. Basically what it is, you have a deck of 40 cards, so it's not a standard deck. You have four suits, you have numbered one through nine, and you have four wild cards. You're basically playing a normal trick-taking game. In the first hand, you have one goal card, mission card, and somebody gets that card. And maybe it's the eight of, let's just say diamonds. They don't use diamonds, obviously. It's, It's special suits, but eight of diamonds. The person who that goal card is in front of has to win that trick. The next game, there are two cards put out. So two different people have tricks they have to win specifically. You know, you don't have to play through the whole deck of cards also. Like tonight, the first hand, I had the eight of diamonds was my goal card. I played the nine of diamonds. Somebody played the eight on the first hand. We won, cleaned it up, went to the next hand. So it sounds very simple, but there's a lot to this game. Listen next week for more details on it, but I'm really enjoying it. My daughter who isn't always into games, she's eight. It's kind of hard to get her to play some games. She loves this. This is definitely her favorite game. She's requesting it every night now. So that's the crew. And it's 15 bucks, right? I bought it from my local game store. They did delivery, but you know, you can get it on Amazon. I think it's 15 bucks. So this is well worth it. If you like trick-taking games at all, cooperative trick-taking game, and it's amazing. It's called The Crew, and it's subtitled The Quest for Planet Nine. It's awesome. Yeah, I really want to try this game. It looks pretty fun. I don't have a good co-op trick-taking game in my collection, so look at my eyes on this one. Yeah, we just did Fox in the Forest duet on the YouTube channel, so you guys can check that out. It was actually me and Jerry playing that with Mike commenting on it. I think that one's really good for two players, but this one, if you've got more than two players, works really well. I haven't tried the two-player variant. I see some potential issues with it in my mind, but that doesn't mean it's a bad game. I haven't played it yet, so maybe it's awesome at two players also. Cool. But I would say if you want two player, consider Fox in the Forest duet as well. So there's another bonus for you. (laughs) I like it. All right. So what's your big number one for the new gamers? Yeah, this is one we've mentioned in the past, and I've become a pretty big fan of it, especially with one of the expansions that came out, later expansions that came out. That's Flashpoint Fire Rescue. It's all about running around trying to save people from a burning building. And there's a lot of expansions out there. So you can have just a normal like household building. You have apartment building. You can have a high rise. There's a lot of different maps that really change up the difficulty. And there's even difficulty scaling within the game itself with different rule sets and different other modules you can basically add in it. But the big thing is definitely, definitely get tragic events with that deck that replaces some of the, the fire events. So it ramps up at a, I don't know, somewhat controlled fashion. It really makes it game awesome in that regard. Yeah, I love that game. And I actually really thought about it for the list. But with my criteria that I use specifically, I didn't know that there was enough. You know, there, there wasn't some kind of scaling naturally in the game right. as far as difficulty. But there's certainly plenty of difficulty levels that you could scale it yourself. Don't get me wrong. That is one of my favorites. I'm glad you brought it up because it is a fantastic game. But yes, I agree with you on tragic events. You can go listen to our episode on that to hear our thoughts more deeply on that. All right. So my number one for the new gamer slash family gamer, and you might call me crazy here, Pandemic Legacy Season 1. Hmm. 
and hear me out on this. First of all, pandemic, come on. I mean, we're in the middle of a pandemic right now. You know, (laughs) I think it's very apropos. But the reason I say Pandemic Legacy Season 1 is, even if you've never played a Pandemic game before, Pandemic games are fairly straightforward. They're a game I've often recommended for new gamers. As you can tell, you had Pandemic and Forbidden Island on the list, both by the same designer, both within the same kind of genre. But Pandemic itself, the base game, is pretty straightforward and very fun in and of itself, even without expansions, especially for new gamers. Agreed. And you can play Pandemic as many times as you want with Pandemic Legacy. Literally, there is nothing stopping you from playing base Pandemic as much as you want. And then the second you get bored or you're like, you know what? I don't know. Like, it's kind of the same thing over and over. You can increase difficulty. You can do lots of things within the base game of Pandemic right there out of Pandemic Legacy box. And then the minute you're like, you know what? I don't know if I want to play the same game 100 times anymore. You can go into the Legacy system and the game is amazing. And you got 12, at least minimum, 12 more games there with this expanding campaign. So it's something, yes, when you're done with it, it's not a game you can continue to play after you're done. But you're going to get, especially if you've never played Pandemic before, you'll probably play at least 12 times. Then you're never going to beat it in the first 12 playthroughs. So you've got at least, you know, probably 20 plays in there after that. So you're talking 30, 32 plays. It's a lot of value in that box with Pandemic Legacy Season 1. I'm not recommending Season 2. I'm recommending Season 1. I think it's a great place for people who haven't played it before. I think it's only 10 or $20 more than Base Pandemic. And you're going to get so much more value out of it, in my opinion. Yeah, I'm glad you brought this one up. This is one I was considering as well, but with the criteria I had, it didn't really fit my list. But it's a great choice for what we're all going through. And like you said, it's kind of on point with the theme, too. So it's, Absolutely. it's a good choice. Yeah, for those who don't know, you're fighting off the pandemics, by the way. You are scientists trying to fight off diseases. So that is the main theme of the game if you haven't heard of pandemic before. And so it is. You get to be the good guy. You get to be the hero. You can name the diseases, name one of them coronavirus, and make sure you obliterate that one yourself right away. All right, well, thanks for listening through that list. Now we're on to another top five list. Two lists in one week. What? Being crazy. Absolutely. So this is for gamers who want a little bit more of a challenge, a little bit more rules complexity. You don't have to be, this isn't, we're not trying to put barriers anywhere here by any stretch of the imagination, but we do have to recognize that people who haven't played any of these modern board games before aren't necessarily going to want the same complexity of rules that people have been playing for years. And the reason that games get easier the longer you play them is because you start recognizing mechanics that you've seen before. For example, in one of my games, there's a deck building mechanic. Well, if you've never seen that before, the game itself is going to seem much harder because you have to learn all these other things on top of deck building. Whereas with Harry Potter, you're really just learning the deck building. Right. And then you could carry those to that next level. So by no stretch of the imagination am I saying that a new gamer couldn't learn any of these games. It's just going to take a little bit more effort and a little bit more pushing through the rules to get there. So that's why we made this list. It's a little bit you know, more challenging games, but also something, for me at least, I kept the same criteria, something that's going to keep you busy in your extended free time that we all have now through this pandemic that we're all dealing with. So with that being said, Steve, why don't you get started again? What's your number five? Number five is going to be an overlap from the previous list because I think this does bridge both of them pretty well, and that's going to be Flashpoint Fire Rescue. 
I already talked about it in the previous list, so I won't get into it here, but I do feel like if you're sitting out with a family, you want to find something you enjoy and you dump, jump up the complexity of this game. As a gamer who's familiar with these mechanics and components like you were mentioning earlier, it's a, it's a good one. Everyone can sit down and enjoy that one. So that's why I'm listening for my number five, Flashpoint Fire Rescue. You know, it's funny because I played this game. So there's a family mode in Flashpoint Fire Rescue, and I played it that way for a long time. I wasn't playing it every day, but probably the first however many years until last year or the year before, I had only played the family version. This game's been out for a while, probably 10 years, I would guess. And I had only played the family most basic version because I was always playing with my kids. And lately, I've been playing it more, and I've been playing it more with my gamer friends playing the advanced variant. And I agree with you. It is a game where the rules aren't that much more difficult in the advanced variant, but it pushes it up enough that I think it pushes it past family weight, and I think it does a great job, as you were saying, of fitting on both lists here. I think it's a game that scales really well, so that's a great choice. I'm glad you made it, because it is one of my favorite games. I just didn't put it on either of my lists. (laughs) Nice. So what's your number five? Yeah, so my number five is that deck builder I was talking about, and that's Aeon's End. As a lot of people know, I love Aeon's End. There are now what, four seasons of it? So there's Aeon's End, then there's World End, then there's Legacy, and then there's the campaign one that you were talking about, and there was another one that just hit Kickstarter. So there's a lot of content for Aeon's End. So that's, in my mind, where it met this criteria of something that can keep expanding, not necessarily within one box, although within a lot of those boxes, there are villains you're facing. They get more and more difficult. So you certainly can start with the basic baseline villain and work your way up. So there's a lot of content there. And if you work your way all the way through one box, you can always buy more boxes because there's a lot of content. If it's your first time getting into Aeon's End, I definitely recommend Legacy. I have never played it myself because if base Aeon's End is level one, it starts you at like negative four, I think, right? <laughs> maybe, maybe like zero, but yeah, it's pretty Okay, pretty low. zero. <laughs> yeah, so it starts you easier and then you work up to, you know, some of the more complex bosses. So right. if you're new to the game and the series, I would say that's a good place to start. Once I've played it a few times, I didn't want to go back and play Legacy. But Steve's been talking a lot about the campaigns and I haven't gotten into those yet. But I'm super looking forward to it. And I have been playing the game, not only the physical board game, but I've also been playing it on Steam as well. So I was a Kickstarter backer for the Steam version, and so I've been playing it on the computer as well. So there are multiple ways to play it, not just in the physical form, although the physical game's great. Yeah, I agree with a lot of what you said there. All right, what's your number four? My number four is going to be Street Masters, actually. Oh, yeah. I say that because there's just a ton of content right now for this game. Absolutely. I think I counted 40 heroes. So even if you play each hero once, that's a lot of plays. So Yeah. It's a good time for people to catch up on that. That's for sure. Oh, for sure. And this would fit my criteria for the most part because you have a deck of cards that only you're handling. So it kind of keeps that separation going a little bit. You do have the loot cards and the mission cards, depending on your expansions, that do get shared. So there's a little bit of sharing going on. But you can even play this remotely if you wanted because, like you said, you're just, you can just control your character and have a webcam pointing at the board and just communicate where you're moving. So it works out pretty well. Nice. No, that's a very good call. I absolutely agree. There's a lot of content there. It's great. And the game is better, in my opinion, at lower player count. But my biggest problem, again, with higher player count is downtime. And we've got all the downtime in the world right now. So, sure, you could even play it up to max player count. Go for it. <laughs> it's true. But, yes, I agree. Downtime is a problem. Definitely play simultaneous if you have the option. 
Oh, I wonder who came up with that idea. Anyway, <laughs> moving on. All right, so our number four is, for me, it's Arkham Horror LCG. Now, I thought a lot about what LCGs were out there. And again, remember my criteria, something you can start small and work your way through. And, you know, I thought about Lord of the Rings, and then I thought, well, that's not a good game. <laughs> no comment? Just wait. <laughs> I was I was expecting some kind of pushback on that. <laughs> And to be honest, I played a lot of Marvel lately and mostly solo, but I've played it a couple times co-op with my kids, both my kids, and we're having a fun time. My kids are actually really enjoying it. My biggest problem for fitting my criteria is there's not enough out now to keep me entertained for weeks and weeks and weeks. Like I've played it a lot. I've played through everything. I probably played it 50 times, which is a lot, but the games play really quickly. So like a half hour, sometimes even less. And so it's easy to play a lot and get burnt out on it. Because there's also no story progressing you and keeping you entertained. And there's just a limited amount of content out now. And Fantasy Flight is kind of shut down at this point. And so they're not putting anything out for the next couple of months. And because of that, there's for me, there wasn't enough content. But enough about a game I didn't recommend. Although I do love Marvel. If you love the superhero theme, it's definitely one I would get into and at least try. I've been having a lot of fun with it. But Arkham LCG, the reason I put this one here is because... It is something that you can just buy one campaign for and play through that campaign. And if you're really enjoying yourself and you get through it, there's another campaign and another campaign. There's like three or four campaigns out already that you can buy and play through. And it's plenty of content. It'll keep you going. And the story there is just so good. That's what I love about the game. I I mean, the gameplay is fun as well, but the story is what keeps you coming back. And so for me... That's why I put it on my list at number four. And actually, I've been playing it with Mike and Jerry online. So it's even something if you have tabletop simulator that you can play online as well. Yeah, for sure. That's an easy one to play remote. All right. What's your number three? My number three is one you can play cooperative, but I highly recommend you don't actually. Okay. (laughs) It's best solo. And I felt like it was appropriate to put at least one solo game on here because you know what? At some point, you might just want a little me time to escape from other people in your house. So We might overlap here. And this one is uh, Nemo's War. Oh, no. Never mind. <laughs> yeah, no. This game is awesome. I'm a big fan of this one solo. Uh, like I said, don't play co-op. But it's got a little bit of like Mary Trash in there, a little bit of Euro, a little bit of War Game in there. And it's this huge adventure. You can kind of explore different motives. And it's pretty challenging to like do well in these motives. So you'll have a lot of time to try to explore, try to figure out how to maximize the score in different scenarios and setups. And it's a lot of different finales, too, and how you end it. But, yeah, it's um, I'm a big fan of this one. It does play long, but right now we've got time. So that's mine, Nemo's War. Yeah, you know, I've played this one co-op just once, and we played with three players. And, I mean, it, it wasn't awful. I don't want to say, you know, I actually enjoyed my experience with it. So I know for someone who's played all the roles of it and it's very easy to do, you might be down on it as a co-op game. But as someone who had never played it before, I enjoyed my experience playing co-op. So I I don't think it's bottom of the list. It's certainly a solo game where they just break it up and say, you do this half and you do this half. But we enjoyed doing our parts. So what's your number three? So my number three is a game that most people think of as a solo game. And certainly it can be played solo, but there's a cooperative mode in it as well. And that is Mage Knight. I mean, you've got plenty of time. You want to talk about a game with plenty of content and that's going to take you lots of time to play. That's Mage Knight. (laughs) For sure. 
So, I mean, just learning the game, it's a great time to learn it. You can spend a night learning it. You can spend the next night even working through the training session again. Then you can spend the next couple nights playing through it. If you've got a place to keep it set up, you can keep it set up, play it over days, especially if you're playing co-op. The more people you have, the longer the game's going to take. It's something where I could take my turn. You can eat your dinner. You can take your turn. I can go for a five-mile jog. There's plenty of time between turns for you know you to get other activities in as well. So, <laughs> yes, for sure. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned this. This is one I was considering for the list, but with some of the criteria it didn't really match too well. Like it's really hard to play this one remote, in my opinion. But sure. it is a good game for all the time we have, for sure. Yeah, and I was joking about all the downtime. I mean, there is certainly downtime, but it is a fun game. I've had a lot of enjoyable times with it. Certainly, it's better solo and at low player count. I mean, I'm sure you could do it simultaneous if you're doing co-op as well. I haven't experimented with it very much, but I know there's a lot to explore in the game. And again, you're never going to run out of content there. You're never going to get bored. You're not going to see the same things over and over. And even if you do, people have been playing this for years and years and years and not gotten bored of it. So I don't think you will either. It's a great game, Mage Knight. Yeah, every hand's a puzzle. You will be busy in this one for sure. So good one. All right, last two. I was a little bit quiet when you brought these up, this one up at least, so I'll talk a little bit more about it, but my number two is Aeon's End. Oh, nice. I think this is a fantastic deck builder, and it's even better as a campaign, and I I wanted at least one game on this list to be a campaign. I think this is the one I want to pick, because it has the campaign, but the campaign is really only like four games. You replay until you kind of win, or and if you just do really bad, you just lose quickly. So it's not a campaign that's going to last too long, so like... We don't know when this quarantine is going to end, but you would be able to start a campaign and likely finish it before, I don't know, we get back to some sense of normalcy. But if not, you could always start another campaign. And there's just a lot of content in this game, tons of things to go through. You've got that nice progression. I'm a big fan of this, especially with the expedition mode in there. Highly, highly recommend that. Yeah, no, I really want to try that expedition mode. I haven't done it yet, but even the base game of Aeon's End, there's so much variety in the enemies that you will get your money's worth out of it and you will enjoy playing through all the different enemies. And so even though it's not a campaign, it feels like a mini campaign because every mission is very different. I love it. That's a great one. So my number two is a lot of people's number one. It is a game that has its next edition out, just hit Kickstarter today, and is already up at four and a half million dollars as we're recording Tuesday night. Only four and a half million the first twenty four hours. <laughs> I mean, it was over a million within the first hour. We're not even to twenty four hours. We're not even to twelve hours yet. I don't think. I yeah, that's correct. Yes. <laughs> I mean, it's crazy. But the game Frosthaven is the one that's on Kickstarter. The game Gloomhaven is the one you can get now. And if you haven't played Gloomhaven yet, you may as well get that one. I mean, they're the same game right like (laughs) bottom line is if you haven't played gloomhaven you don't need frosthaven go get gloomhaven play it now nobody wants it because everybody's super excited about frosthaven but guess what gloomhaven's a great game too the reason people are excited about frosthaven is because gloomhaven was such a good game and it's available right now so if you haven't played through it there's like 99 missions in the box you're not going to get bored with it it's something that meets all my criteria right it is something where if you've got a lot of time It's something that you can fill your time with and you'll be enjoying yourself the whole time. And many people have. That's why it's the number one game on BoardGameGeek right now. It is just an amazing game. A lot of fun. Great dungeon crawl. Gloomhaven. I'm glad you mentioned this one. 
Because going through my criteria, I was having a hard time justifying a dungeon crawl. But I do feel like this is a really good option if you have this extended period of time and if you start the campaign while you're in quarantine like this. So, yeah, great choice. Another one I thought of was Kingdom Death Monster, because that one's got the campaign as well where you're leveling up. And if you don't know anything about Kingdom Death Monster, I mean, that was the other Kickstarter that made bajillions of dollars as well. So certainly you can look into that. But the price point to get in was so much higher. I mean, Gloomhaven, one of the best parts about it is you're getting 99 missions for like 110, 120 bucks and even cheaper online. So it's easy to get into where Kingdom Death Monster, really, you got to go hunt for it and you're still going to be paying, you know, three, four hundred dollars to get all the stuff you need. Good choice. All right. So my number two is Gloomhaven. Is it your number one? It is not. My number one should not come to a surprise for our listeners, at least our regular listeners. And I just kind of bunched a bunch of them together to call them co-op LCGs. Because oh, okay. really, what I'm talking about is the Marvel, Arkham, and Lord of the Rings LCGs. And the bulk of these games, when you boil them down, is that fun, like, hey, let's make a customized deck. Let me try this customized deck against this scenario and see how well it does, and then I can tweak it or experience different combinations with different other setups. It's just a lot to explore in these games. And so really, what it comes down to is, like, if you like the themes, obviously go for the theme, but Marvel is much easier entry, quicker to play. Arkham's got the great story, and Lord of the Rings kind of has that depth of card play and that customization. Yeah, there's a lot of difficulty there, too. I mean, if you are somebody who likes to get your butt kicked over and over and try to really solve the puzzle so you can get to it, I think that's where Lord of the Rings shines. Yeah, there's a high high challenge level in there, and some of them for sure. So it really depends on what you're looking for for these games. But you really can't go wrong. I know we poke fun at, the, at each other for liking different ones, but you can't go wrong with any co-op LCG in my mind, as long as it's something in that wheelhouse that you're really going to like. But you have a ton of play with these, and it's something that I play remote. In fact, I play Lord of the Rings Living Card Game remote on webcam even before quarantine every week. So I play with a guy over on the other side of the, the country on the West Coast, and I'm on the East Coast, and it works out pretty well. That's awesome. All right, so I'm going to recommend one game, a starting place for Arkham in my mind. I mean, Marvel's easy, right? Marvel, just get everything. Like, there's not that much out yet, and certainly there's not that much that's available because it's sold out really quickly. So yeah. for me, if you were going to get one campaign, I mean, that wasn't the intro campaign. I, I think the first three missions might lead into the intro campaign, so maybe start with that, with Arkham. But the first campaign I would go after that, my favorite, is The Path to Carcosa. I, I think that one's amazing. So that is my favorite for Arkham. Where's your favorite starting place? If you were going to recommend somebody for Lord of the Rings LCG, where would they start out if they've got nothing right now? Honestly, I'd recommend the saga. It's complete now, so you can get all of them. So what is the saga? Like, because I looked, and do you just look up saga and you'll get it? Uh, not necessarily. There's really uh, two boxes for each book. So there's okay. six boxes. And so it's the normal Lord of the Rings trilogy that everyone's familiar with. So you already kind of know the story, but it's really cool how they incorporated those scenes in the book and and honestly, some scenes that weren't in the movies, of course, and into the play of it. And you do kind of level up because you do get loot and well, what's called burdens, bad stuff that follow you depending on your decisions you make. And it's just a really cool and awesome experience. Now, the challenge level is there for sure, but they do have decks in the books that you can build. 
it's kind of kind of built up that way, and you do get a lot of the characters you kind of want to play with anyway if you want to keep something that's thematic from a fellowship perspective. Oh, that's really cool. And I know they're the Hobbit ones too, then, because I own the two Hobbit games. Yep. So that's part of the saga, but I guess it's its own separate saga. That's correct. Yeah, it's a similar concept, but the, honestly, I think the Lord of the Rings saga is better than the Hobbit saga. Okay, I haven't played those yet, so hopefully Gen Con's on, and hopefully we can play it there. Sounds good. All right, so my number one is Spirit Island. And if you've heard us talk about it, there's just so much to love about the game. There is a lot of variety in the game. You have all the different spirits. You have the different challenge levels. I'll be honest, I myself, who have played it quite a bit, haven't even gone to the highest challenge levels on any of the enemies that come in. And you have four different enemies that come in the box. Each of them have six different challenge levels to make it harder and harder. Every time you play a new spirit, it plays completely differently. Plays one to four. I like it at you know most of the player counts. Certainly, it's faster at lower player counts. But there's so much content in there that even though it's not a campaign, you're still getting a fresh experience every time you play the game. And so there's just so much to explore there that that's why it's my number one it's a great game to play and i would love to play it back to back to back unfortunately mike has it right now and we're quarantined from each other but uh otherwise i'd be playing spirit island all the time it is really cool and i would love to work my way through the challenge levels i just don't have it right now yeah that's a phenomenal game it's my current favorite game big fan of it i didn't put it on the list because it's harder to play remote because you do have like a shared deck of powers and it's kind of hard to make that work if not everyone has a copy of the game and make, make that happen. And you're also like passing cards around or sharing that sharing that deck. So, Oh, yeah. You're touching the same enemies, the same everything. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. But, I mean, looking past that as an experience for like things I want to play now, yeah, I'm playing it now <laughs> during quarantine. So <laughs> it's a phenomenal game. I love it. The reason I didn't mind passing cards back and forth and stuff like that is you're probably quarantined in the house with these people anyway. So, I mean, if you're quarantined from the people in your house, that's one thing. But for me, I definitely didn't mind sharing components because, you know, if we're in the same house, we're sharing a lot more than components. Yep. Good point. All right. So that's it. 10 games. Well, 20 games almost of things to keep you busy during the quarantine. So I hope you enjoyed this list. Before we get out of here, we are going to talk a little bit about what we think the effect of coronavirus or COVID-19 is going to have on the games industry. So Steve, I know I'm kind of ambushing you with this because I didn't talk to you about it ahead of time, but do you have any thoughts? Like, where do you think we're going now and in the next year or so? Yeah, it's interesting because like right now we're focusing on essential support for all our countries. And honestly, games aren't essential. But the fact that you can work on games remotely and a lot of people are geared for that anyway, it means we can still progress in, in that fashion. So I guess bringing this point up, it means that I don't foresee the game industry stopping, at least in the near future, but just slowing down a little bit. Now, I don't know what that's going to mean for conventions, especially something like Gen Con where you have 60,000 people in one spot. Right. So that's, that's a big concern of mine. I'm already seeing other conventions like E3 and other large gatherings which are you know being canceled. So that is going to put a hamper on things. And I don't know how that's going to affect our industry yet. Yeah, I think it's going to be hard to say right now how things are going to shake out. 
the longer this goes, the worse it's going to be for our industry. Certainly, if we have to miss Gen Con, that's a big deal. A lot of publishers make a lot of money at that convention and spend a lot of money on that convention. So if people are hesitant to come out and the attendance isn't as good as it's been in the past or they don't have it at all, then I think a lot of publishers could potentially struggle. And to be honest, the margins in this industry are so small and there are so many small publishers out there right now that I think there are already probably a lot of publishers that are struggling because of this. And I think there are going to be a lot of publishers that go out of business because of this, unfortunately. Yeah, and the other thing to that too is usually you have a disposable income for gaming. And unfortunately, there's a lot of folks, um, luckily myself and Peter are not in this situation currently, but that could obviously change. But if we didn't have income, then like supporting games on Kickstarter or even just going buying games becomes less a priority, right? And it's not something you can really flex to. So that's going to cut down on that revenue as well. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that's going to be part of it. There's a lot of people also. So right now there's going to be a backlog because games aren't being manufactured and produced as quickly. I mean, look, Fantasy Flight has basically paused any new releases for the time being. So that creates a backlog. You know, if people aren't working in the factories, people aren't getting these games put together, which, by the way, I fully support. But the bottom line is there's going to be this backlog of games. That means for games like ours, spare parts, I mean, it's gotten pushed to next year already. So, I mean, and who knows, maybe the year after, you know, who, who knows how long this backlog is going to last and who knows what it's going to do in the future to games. I will tell you what's getting done more. If my personal experience has anything to do with it is people are designing games more. They're putting more time and effort in. So I think the games we're going to get on the backside of this are going to be amazing games that people have had a lot of time and energy to put into playing and playtesting. There's a lot more free time that people have. So I do think we're going to get some great stuff on the back end, but I also think games are going to be pushed back. And so there's going to be this backlog of games and either a bunch of stuff's going to come out at once or people are going to go, you know what? This game was okay, but we've got these five other games that are way better. They're they're just going to drop off. I think some of these games that people have already got signed and contracts on. Yeah, for sure. And I also think with having more time, there's also a chance of having some of your current games getting some more support in some fashion. Like, oh, yeah, it would have been nice if they had like some dividers made for it. So like it might be community based, but people might be printing out dividers or other solutions for games, maybe nice rules write up and summaries. I know for me, that's definitely happening where I wanted to create a nice binder for keeping track of my Marvel Legendary rules. And so, oh, yeah, I've got time now. I can like, make a nice artwork and, and print that stuff out and, and make it look real nice and make some more inserts, for example, and other stuff. So that's nice, but it doesn't really help necessarily with the industry, but it does help us as a community. Yeah. So, I mean, the one thing and, and the people that are going to struggle the most in the industry, certainly the publishers, but the local game stores for sure. So what I've made sure to do, my son's actually in a D&D campaign at our local game store and obviously they can't meet live but they've been meeting online on a discord channel and they're charging just as much for the campaign right because these kids are there for two hours every saturday so there's a fee for it and i don't know that everybody has continued to support it but i certainly have through this we just had to re-up and we're letting my son continue to do it online even though, you know, it's not the same experience. He's not getting the same socialization as he would face-to-face, but he's still getting that time with people that aren't in this house, which I think is important. Plus, it supports our game store. The other store I was just telling you about where I got the crew from, they're a huge game store in the area, and they're really good. 
and they typically don't do any online orders or anything like that, but they're taking online orders now and they're not discounting it at all. But I still thought it was worthwhile. You know, I'm paying full retail and shipping to buy some games from them just to make sure they're doing all right through this crisis. So I think anything you can do to support your local business. Now we're being precautious. Literally, we put the box in the garage and this is torture. Trust me. We waited for three days till all the germs died off, you know, potentially from the box. Because for those who don't know, you know, the COVID virus can live up to three days on a surface. So put it outside, kept it there for three days. It was torture. I knew what games were out there. I wanted to play them. But You know, I did what was good for the store and I did what was good for us as well. You know, if you could do anything like that for your local stores, any kind of support, it's definitely the time to do it now. Yeah, I did kind of the opposite where I went in on more of a bulk order from them to stock up on games. So to hold me through the next months. But luckily, my uh, local game store is doing a uh, if you drive up outside of them, they'll run the games out to you so you can pay for them online and just pick them up from there. Just like uh, if you were going to a restaurant and picking up takeout. Yeah, no, that's awesome. So, well, yeah, whatever you can do, support them. We gave you, you know, like I said, 20 new games today potentially to look at, plus more. I know we had bonus games as well, a little bit of overlap, but if you haven't tried all of them, consider some of those, you know, the place in order, keep your game store in business. If you can, obviously financially, not everybody's in the same place right now. And if you can't do it financially, take care of yourself. That's number one. Take care of you and your family, number one. But if you have some money and some free time to play games, go ahead and support your local game stores as well. Because I think those are the ones that are going to be hurting the most after this. For sure. All right. So any other thoughts as far as let's not end it on a dreary note. What's some positive things that could come out of this? I think one positive thing is how I see the community come together a bit, especially on our Slack, for example. Uh, so if you're not familiar, we do have a Slack channel. It's free to join. Just join there and talk about cooperative games all day long with a bunch of other awesome folks. But because we're not getting our gaming in, we've started doing a lot more remote gaming. So we have channels to help people coordinate with that. I know there's a Gloomhaven uh, play going on and I started doing Marvel Legendary uh, Challenges for the theme. And uh, we've been playing a lot of games on uh, Tabletop Simulator, which is one I highly recommend. If you want to play any almost any game, there's other systems like Tabletopia, and if you like card games, Octagon, O-C-T-G-N, is an excellent resource as well. But really, I mean, a lot of these three are kind of the primary hitters, I'd say. There's other choices as well, but yeah, go out there and, and meet other gamers and play, but be safe, please. Yeah, absolutely. You know, that that's the bottom line here, and my, my positive news is you are going to get the best of the best after this is done. I think designers are working hard right now. They don't have other things to distract them. So I think they can focus even more on making their games better, getting the best games out, but it's going to take a little while. Don't expect a swarm of games right after this. You know, it takes years to get a game from design to publication. And so I think there are going to be a lot of great games coming out on the other end. I do think, obviously, the flow of games isn't going to be this fire hose that we've had over the last couple of years because, number one, we're going to have less publishers. But also, I think people are going to slow down. The cash flow is just not going to be there for people to keep producing games at the same rate they were before. So I think that's actually going to be good for the industry. I think less games, but more highly selected games... And, you know, when I first got into this industry, probably 
15, 20 years ago. I mean, I've been playing games my whole life, but really seriously, probably 15, 20 years ago, everybody played all the games. If there was a big game that came out, if there was a Days of Wonder game that came out, everybody played it. And we don't have that as much anymore. Gloomhaven is probably the closest thing we have to it where everybody's tried it. But there are so many games that came out that we were not getting that shared experience we had in the past. And I think getting back to that a little bit, that's part of the reason I fell in love with the industry. Any gamer I talked to, I could talk to about the big game that came out that year, the top 10 games that came out that year. And we had all played all of them. Right now, it's really hard and it's really hard to keep up. So I do think you're going to get a little bit more community going forward. And I think that's a good thing for the industry. I think that's what made a lot of people fall in love with this industry in the first place. So getting that shared experience back, I think will be great. Although the reasons and losing publishers is not going to be great in the interim. But I I think it'll all work out good in in the long run. Yeah, that's a good point. All right. Well, we've gone about an hour. So thank you so much for joining us again this week. Stay safe out there. Enjoy gaming. And we'll see you next week when we're going to be talking about the crew. See you guys next stop. Thanks for listening to another episode of the One Stop Co-op Shop podcast. Please check out our YouTube channel at One Stop Co-op Shop. If you want to reach out to us, the best place to talk to us all is on the Slack. See the show notes for details. Also, you can support us on Patreon. Check out patreon.com slash one stop. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you all next week with another Top 5 list. Um, I thought about Marvel, and, and to be honest, I've played a lot of Marvel. Marvel? It's not Marvel. It's Marvel. And it's even better as a campaign. And I went to the list this at, on this. Wait, what was that? I don't think that was English, dude. I wanted at least one game on this list to be a campaign. Hey, Steve. What's up? I told Mike not to see me anymore last week. Okay. I think he took it seriously. I haven't seen him. <laughs> I hope he's taken seriously. <laughs> I miss him. I miss him so much. <laughs> I'm sorry I can't fill that void for you here.